Hello, this is Rob Carmichael, and welcome to another Mainly Matters Business Podcast. Today, I'm excited we have the owner-operator of one of the most successful fast food restaurants chains in Maine and across the country. He's a distinguished retired Army Lieutenant Colonel. His name is Todd Schultz. Hi, Todd. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate this. Well, it's it's a pleasure to have you as part of well uh, to Mainly Matters, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just do a brief. Uh, introduction for our audience, a little bit of your background, and then we'll get right into talking about uh, the business and talking about uh, how you got into this franchise, uh, how your career kind of led you possibly down this this road to, toward the end of your career. And, you know, I, I am a huge fan of uh, the food there. and <laughs> But I, I think more interesting to me, and we'll get into this, is the model, the 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 customer service, the the way it's operated, and I know sure. you and I have talked about that a little bit in the past, and I'll be anxious to hear more about that for our audience. Uh, we we talk on these podcasts. We, it's kind of a combination of of business leadership, uh, entrepreneurship, and and I think this sort of has a, a combination of of all of that in there. Absolutely. Well, Todd uh, Schultz, Lieutenant Colonel retired Todd Schultz, enlisted in the Army in July of 1990. He entered the United States Military Academy Prep School at Fort Monmouth, uh, New Jersey, and gained admission to the United States Military Academy at West Point. Graduated from West Point with a Bachelor of Science degree in economics and was commissioned uh, in the aviation branch. He's a fellow aviator, as I was, a number of years (laughs) before... uh, before Todd did, uh, he, uh, as a lieutenant, he held company and battalion-level positions in career at Fort Rucker. He was assigned to the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment uh, in uh, February of 2001 through June of 2009. Uh, the 160th is one of the most elite aviation units in the world, if not the, uh, the most elite uh, unit. And he spent a good eight years there. He was a commander of an operational company uh, equipped with the MH-60, which is a special operations variant of the Black Hawk helicopter, and then served in in Iraq and Afghanistan. And from 2011 to 2016, he served as the assistant professor professor of economics at in the Department of Social Sciences at West Point. There, he held three positions: as deputy director of Combat and Terrorism Center. Department Academic Counselor and the Economics Program Director before retiring in 2016. And Todd has a is a graduate of the Command and General Staff College in the military, has a master's in business administration from the prestigious Tepper School of Business at Carnegie Mellon University. And he's currently the owner-operator of Chick-fil-A in Bangor, the first Chick-fil-A franchise in the state of Maine. He has many Awards and decorations, as as I mentioned at the beginning, he's a distinguished uh, uh, military veteran, one of our heroes, and and we're proud to have him uh, today to talk about his his career and his business venture with the Chick Fil A franchise. So I hope I kept that somewhat short. I could go on and on, Todd. <laughs> with your, yeah, yeah. you've got a you've <laughs> got you a, covered it all. You've got a great resume, and uh, I think let's just talk first about about the, the, the military side of it, uh, maybe a little bit about where you're from originally and then uh, what led you uh, to go to West Point. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, you, you covered some of the highlights there. I did enlist right out of high school. 
I grew up, I was born in Ohio, but grew up most of my life in uh, South Florida and Hollywood area, Fort Lauderdale area of Florida. Oh, really? Okay. And, I didn't realize that. Yep. Yep. And so when it came time to figure out what I wanted to do after high school, the military was something that really jumped out at me as an opportunity for a number of reasons. I mean, I had a, a desire to serve, but, uh, you know, looking back on it, I, I think that was definitely part of the motivation, but a, uh, an equal, if not larger part of the motivation was just some of the educational opportunities that the military offers. So I enlisted for four years and I signed up at that point for the GI Bill and a college fund. So I uh, anticipated just serving out a four-year enlistment and, uh, and you know, maybe try to get some college done while I was in the Army. And then, uh, uh, and then when I got out, you know, finish up my uh, college career with the, the GI Bill and a college fund. But, you know, as, as happens in many cases, you know, life took a number of different turns. And 26 years later, out of, after a four-year enlistment, I ended up retiring from the military. Uh, so it was a, an interesting journey, to, to say the least. Well, and, and we, we talk a lot in these in these podcasts about taking advantage of opportunities, and that, it sounds exactly the the approach that you took. The opportunity to to go to West Point uh, came about, and West Point, uh, I think, for people that are not enlightened about West Point, it's extremely difficult to get into West Point. You you know the statistic right off the hand or right off the bat of. Uh, how many in each class gets selected out of each? Uh, I want I want to say it's just under ten percent. Yeah, that, I thought it was I thought it was close to that. Uh, so it's very very difficult to get in. Uh, I served with a lot of West Point officers, and you talk about the cream of the crop. They they certainly are incredible uh, officers and incredible uh, human beings. And uh, in, in the education there is top notch. So for those that don't know about West Point or any of the academies, I. And you have somebody that might be interested in, in certainly qualified for it. You, you should certainly look into into that education. Yeah, most it, definitely. And it's a leadership. It's a leadership academy. I mean, it's really about uh, growing and developing our military leaders. In this case, our army leaders uh, to serve at uh, at all levels of of command. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that experience. What uh, you know? What strike? you is is probably your what you like best or what you really enjoyed the most got the most out of your time at West Point yeah I mean looking back on it uh, like with many things that you go through in life I mean obviously there was a lot of really neat highlights from a military standpoint and you know little things you did there but I mean what really stands out to me is obviously the people and just the relationships that you made in an institution like that or any institution where you really have like this this crucible type of experience. And I think it just creates a bond between people that really lasts a lifetime. In fact, I would say most of my really good friends and best friends are from my cadet days. Uh, I'm the godfather to a number of their children. I uh, still visit them regularly and chat with them regularly. And and, and many of them I, I didn't necessarily serve with after West Point, maybe uh, through you know different spots in the army, but it's not like we had much uh, experience after the army together. But it was that four years together that really created a bond that will last a lifetime. And so that's something that really uh, jumps out at me uh, for sure. Um, and then I, I would also, you know, as I'm saying that again, a lot of really cool experiences there. But just something that really. Uh, always stood out to me. In fact, it's one of the things that drew me back there to be a professor there eventually 
was just the history of the place. Uh, if, if you haven't been to West Point, I would encourage anyone to go there. I mean, it's just an absolutely gorgeous place. Uh, it's in upstate New York, sits in the, the Hudson Valley, actually not too far from New York City, but you would never think you were that close to New York City. It's probably like 50 minutes or so to New York City from there. But one of the sayings there that you see in the halls is, you know, much of the history we teach was made by the people we taught. Mm. And so here you, you're walking, you know, on the same grounds that, I mean, literally George Washington walked on and so many other, you know, just leaders from our country who were maybe were educated there or perhaps even served there before it was in even, even a, uh, a military academy. Because it, to this day, it's the longest permanently uh, garrisoned post in, in uh, the U.S. So there's always been military stationed at West Point since well before the, the, the Revolutionary War or the Revolutionary War times. Uh, so, I mean, there's just really so much history about the place that, you know, you could spend, you know, years upon years there and really only cover uncover a fraction of it. It, it is exactly as you say. It's, be- it's so beautiful. I've been there uh, several times and always struck by, uh, the, the, as you say, the history and the beauty. And and you can see the brotherhood. Uh, I, I can, uh, and it, it's sort of, uh, there's a little bit of jealousy there. As another military person, when I see that sort of brotherhood, uh, having been a product of of ROTC, you know, we had a small class uh, at at, uh, at University of Maine, our ROTC unit, but you don't really gain that sort of same uh, brotherhood that you you do through all those experiences and all the things you share at West Point. And and I could see that when when I was around uh, other West Point officers, you know, uh, as I served. So. Sure. It's, it's, it's a great, great institution. What, any, anything you'd like to share? Does something stand out that maybe you like the least about your time there? Probably. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Of course, your, your mind sort of like purifies your, uh, some of those memories as you go through life and you only remember the good times. But and if I, it's, it, it was, it's kind of, uh, apropos that we're talking about it now because we're currently in the gloom period and the gloom period is something that always really stuck out at me uh, as a cadet there. And the gloom period is kind of defined as that time when cadets get back from uh, winter break and before spring break. So usually like that third week or so of March. So that like two and a half month time frame that, I mean, academics are just kicking your butt. The skies are gray. The buildings are gray. I mean, there's just not much looking forward to. And the dean is just whooping your butt. Uh, and 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 there's no like football that like gets you outside mm-hmm. and are interacting with other people or you know going to different sporting events. So it's it's to this day called the gloom period. And I, I can just remember you know going through that time frame. Like, man, is this ever going to end? We gotta we gotta get through this season. And, and and to some extent you can relate in you know the winters of maine oh absolutely, <laughs> uh, absolutely. yeah you you really look forward to spring and i remember it's like uh, there was like this big area that we used to form up on and and just like here you know when when they would plow this big area that we would form up on there was like this mountain of snow and i think if if you were to like take the mood of the core it was probably inversely correlated with the size of that mountain of snow it's like as that thing shrunk in, in size you know you, moods across the cord would lift up and i can remember like 
walking by it one day and it was literally like two feet tall and i'm like oh man it's spring is finally here so, <laughs> so and that's a long ways from uh florida south florida or california no, it was. in the sun yeah yeah it, but it stuck and so now i'm living in maine and i actually i, I really enjoy the the, the weather and, and, and the you know what winter has to offer it just it takes on a little bit different of a, a tone when you're sort of locked in you know the buildings there of west point and you got the academics and you know everything else going on <laughs> it's it certainly the academics are a grind there you know it's interesting you were talking about how you you sort of decided to go into the military and i i kind of a, approached it the same way i didn't have any wasn't that i was against serving but i didn't it was more of a, a situation for me where i said you know how can i uh, maybe fund help fund my my college i but i uh, yeah. i ended up getting an rotc scholarship and that uh, was what you know sort of focused me into the military for at least 4 years and then 4 years turned into many more but yeah <laughs> it, it is one of those things that uh, the military has for people that there are those that it really is you, you know people i'm sure you served with at west point that 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 their focus was to go into the military maybe there was some sort of uh lineage that you know they were following and then others it was you know something to try for, maybe for the benefits or whatever but uh it, it does bring people in for a whole host of different reasons and no absolutely and and, and a lot of times you stay in for much different reasons which exactly was in my case Exactly. I mean, I went in there for the educational opportunities and and most certainly uh, received those. But, uh, you know, it's not something that kept me in for 26 years. It was, you know, I think I kind of found my identity and what I was, you know, wanted to do in life and, you know, serve this sort of greater cause. And it was one of those things that sort of matured over time. And and I always told myself, I was like, hey, I'm going to stay in as long as I really enjoy what I'm doing. And and I feel like I'm able to make a contribution. And uh, and, and, and I'm getting something out of it. And again, that, that, that kept me in there for many more years. Yeah. And you certainly did uh, contribute to, to, uh, our country. The, what, what would surprise you mentioned maybe the history, is there anything else that might surprise people that don't know a lot about West Point or know only West Point on the surface? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I think, again, I have the benefit of being a cadet there and then being a professor there for five years. And so it, it offers a, a different perspective. And what I, I think is a surprise to a lot of people is just the type of education that West Point offers. I, I, and I, I say this because I talked to many uh, prospective cadets and, and their parents. And when I told them sort of the, the opportunities in terms of like what you could major in in academics uh, and the different offerings that it offered as both in, you know, from an education standpoint as, other, as well as just other opportunities, whether it be extracurricular or sports and whatnot, is I think it's much broader than people think. I mean, of course, it originated as an engineering school, and at its core, it still is. I mean, every cadet is required to take uh, its three engineering courses. But after that, there's a huge amount of op- options there for cadets. And I think, I want to say it's 40 or, some, 40 or so majors that you can major in. Uh, I mean, it, it spans all, all the liberal arts uh, and, and all the sciences, really. And so there's there's something for everybody and, and everyone's interest from an academic standpoint there. So uh, I wouldn't let you know that limit people as they consider that as an option. Uh, that's a, that's an important thing for people to understand. It's similar similar in a small way to uh, Maine Maritime Academy. Maine Maritime Academy has evolved over the years and and expanded their offerings. I think originally Maine Maritime was probably more of just uh, the focus was on uh, creating. Uh, 
graduates who who shipped out and you know were engineers, marine engineers, and so forth, and they brought in their offerings so that people don't have to. to yeah, and and I, and I think another thing is that if people doesn't have don't have any experience in military academies in West Point in particular is you think is there, there's like this rigidity that sort of comes to mind and you know a lot of uh structure and whatnot and and obviously there's there is in terms of structuring your day and that kind of thing but when it comes to the academic setting it is very i mean there's a lot of academic freedom there uh, i mean cadets are encouraged and i say this because i used to teach them they're encouraged to challenge their professors or challenge different viewpoints and you know not sort of you know go with whatever the orthodox view is of, with a particular subject, but to really like, at, at the end of the day, think critically about whatever it is that they're, they're talking about and come up with their own views and their own opinions and, and probably most importantly, being able to, to uh, support those. And so it really does offer a, a really good uh, uh, framework and, and way to approach things from a, you know, a critical thinking uh, perspective. I think that that's a great thing to, for our listeners to hear an important, an important way to maybe break the stereotype. I've I've encountered that so many times since I I left the military is is that that stereotype that military thinkers are just rigid uh, rule followers, don't challenge authority, and that couldn't be further from the truth. And the military education and and the way we're developed in the military teaches critical thinking and teaches us to challenge assumptions. And yeah, and and we if we didn't do that, uh, you know, when we got to the you know the the uh, strategic levels we'd be in trouble i think so yeah and i, I no, and i think that's a, a, just to peel that back a little bit more we always used to say when i was teaching there is we want to teach you how to think not what to think and so it's this idea of you know challenging your assumptions uh and and, and really try to get to the truth of the matter and remain as, as objective as possible uh with respect to whatever topic that you're talking about or learning about absolutely um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's let's. Uh, so, I, I need to touch on the uh, before we start getting into the franchise piece of this. I want to touch on something you and I have in common, and that's our our uh, tours with the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. And uh, certainly, uh, there are things that w- we can't talk about. Still, a lot of stuff that I when I was with the unit was was certainly uh, classified or things you couldn't talk about that that is no longer now. <laughs> early in yep. the days, but we share a connection with one of the most elite uh, aviation units, helicopter units in, in the, uh, in the world. And we also share a connection. I think you said you served under one of my friends uh, in, uh, in one of your tours. Uh, <laughs> great guy, uh, Rick Bowman years, oh, yeah. years ago. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rick, Rick yeah. and I, Rick and I were captains at, at uh, Fort Campbell together and, I had just left uh, for the infantry advance course that he had gone to. This was just at the cusp of when aviation branch developing there. Uh, yeah. Captain's he was course. The, he was the commander of the unit when I first got there. So oh, that was yeah. back in 2001. Great guy. Hard charger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Well, maybe you could just touch on again the, at, this, at the service level what we can share and talk a little bit about the experiences of, 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 of that unit. Yeah, most definitely. Before I do that, I, I do want to take this opportunity because I'm sure the listeners are familiar with you and all your podcasts. But and I really genuinely mean this: what you guys did and what your counterparts did in the early '80s to advance the 
night vision capabilities and the, the night vision tactics, techniques, and procedures really paved the way for success down the road. Uh, I mean, much of the stuff that you guys literally like created and innovated back in the 80s is, are things that we still do. And it didn't come in, and you obviously well know this, it didn't come without a cost. Back in the early 80s, I think it was the highest you know, concentration of training accidents that we had. Uh, uh, just again, trying to create something that had and, and, and develop some procedures and tactics that just didn't exist and using a, a technology that was literally like very, very new. Um, and so I, I want to appreciate what you guys did for uh, the future uh, Night Stalkers uh, and, and just creating uh, you know a, a lineage and a legacy that we were, were able to build on. Well, I, I appreciate that. We uh, we you're absolutely correct. I mean, I came in probably I think two years two years after the unit was created to two and a half years, something like that. The, the tools and techniques, as you say, were pretty rudimentary at that point in time. And it was a lot of it was making it up as you, as you go to some extent. And my, um, the one year in 1983, we lost 17 crew members in one year. So it was a, it Mm -hmm. was a difficult time period, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, you came. Uh, you came along. What year it was? Uh, so, uh, so it's funny because you know I I entered into aviation branch in the mid '90s, and you know we were everybody was going to you know whether it be the National Training Center out west or you know Bosnia or Kosovo. That was sort of the big thing. And I was like, man, I wanted to join a unit that was like when something happened, they got the call. Mm-hmm. And so, and of course, if you were in the aviation branch, that's the one sixtieth Special Operations Aviation Regiment. Or the one sixtieth SOAR for short is uh, was that that's where you went. So I assessed with them uh, in the summer of two thousand and was assigned there. And and it's it's a week long assessment and was able and, and was fortunately able to uh, favorably assess there. And so I was I was assigned there. I think it was in January or maybe early February of two thousand one. And so we of course fast forward eight months. You know nine eleven happens, and here I was at. Uh, in a unit that was literally going to be the first ones to deploy in response to the 9-11 attacks. And of course, you would never have would have known that when you first got there. So uh, I was able to serve there over the next eight years um, and uh, deployed a total of 16 times in that time frame, uh, many to I- Iraq, Afghanistan, and other uh, locations. Um, and, and so uh, it was... It, to this day, it was the highest operational tempo that the unit has experienced just because there was such a huge demand for the types of capabilities that our aviation unit offered, but in, in particular, what the ground force units that we support offered as well when it came to counterterrorist operations. And you, so you lost it a really lot, of, was a lot of guys in that time, too, I believe, a number of uh, combat casualties. and. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 Um, so it was uh, uh, it, it was a great uh, a great experience. I mean, I, in fact, it's it's one of those things, kind of like the crucible experience. I talked about West Point. That was a crucible experience as well, and and it, it creates bonds that will last a lifetime. And to the extent where, you know, I haven't been in a unit now for what twelve? No, coming up on thirteen years. And I I went back there last month, and I literally just walked on the compound, 
and still knew a bunch of guys that were serving there. And I mean, we were just telling the story. I mean, I, I could have spent two days there and I just, you know, spent the day there talking with guys who are literally still there 13 years after I left, still doing what, you know, I was doing for those eight years. So it's kind of crazy. It, it's, it, it, it is. I mean, I wasn't there nearly as long as, as you were uh, anywhere close, but I, I still have this, this feeling that that, that was one of the most uh, pivotal moments in my career and the, and, and probably what I'm most proud of. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. any rank that I attained. I'm most proud of being selected to be in that unit. And, and that's, and having watched that unit over the years and, and all the things that you folks did and, and everybody continues to do now. And I, th- and I can say this because it's, it's, it's common knowledge and it's public. They've made movies about it, but uh, that's the, the aviation unit that, to, went in to get Bin Laden. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the helicopters that went in, and and that's not uh, anything. I don't think anybody know doesn't know. Yeah, watches movies and watches uh, watches the news. So it's oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean they were involved in nearly all of the big newsworthy sort of missions uh, over the last twenty years that involved helicopters. Yeah, it's it's something to be. You know, you said the same thing. That you want to be part of the best, and yeah. and it sounds to me like that sort of uh that same sort of attitude uh led you to when you started deciding you wanted to get a franchise wanted to be part of one of the best franchises <laughs> so let's talk about that yeah. how did your your interest start in, in that yeah so after the 160th i you know went to business school and they, they west point when you're selected to teach there sends you to uh, school any graduate school i ended up going to business school before you go back and teach and so it was probably in business school that the whole franchise opportunity uh, really started to, or that, that seed was planted. Of course, I had a, a number of, you know, of years yet left to serve at that point. But I was like, man, that'd be a good thing because, you know, if I'm going to retire in my mid-40s, and I, I always had an interest in business, uh, and the franchise opportunity seemed to make sense because, in theory, you get this proven business model. And then they just need, you know, a franchisee to sort of execute on on that business model. Uh, and so, broadly speaking, that's what sort of drove me to franchising. And a lot of a lot of veterans, honestly, try to pursue this route, especially those who have this, you know, desire to be an entrepreneur and, and build something, and you know, uh, uh, cr- try to create something of their own. You know, franchise opportunity makes a lot of sense for a lot of folks. That's it's it's fascinating, and and. As you were researching the the franchises, what stuck out to you about uh, the Chick Fil A? Now, I, I was reading about a little bit about uh, their focus is is on a small menu, customer service. Clearly, is is you can see that their focus is on customer ser- service. Uh, they uh, the initial investment is pretty low. Can you talk a little bit about that whole process? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things and. Yeah, exactly. So once I started looking at different franchises, you know, Chick-fil-A was one that I looked at. And honestly, as the more I learned about it, it, it rose to the top and it wasn't even a close second. For me, that is. And one of the things that really stood out to me, and, and just to take a step back, like, so when, in the special operations forces, you know, they, there's, a, there's a couple of what they call soft, S-O-F, soft truths. And the first one is humans are more important than hardware. And so in the special operations community, there's always this, we know that humans and people are at the centerpiece of what we do. That's, that's the difference between success and failure. And the more I looked at Chick-fil-A, they, 
I mean, whether from it's from the founder and the number of books that he wrote, as well as just how they, uh, you know, conduct business on a day to day basis. Uh, and, and all of that sort of lined up with my experience when I'd go in there and be a guest at Chick-fil-A. I could tell that that people were sort of at the center of what um, uh, what Chick-fil-A was about. In fact, the founder used to say, we're not just in the chicken business, we're in the people business. So I think it's that that people-centric business model that something that really stood out to me and something that really I felt like my military experience, I could leverage that into that sort of a business model and something that I felt like I could get behind. Um, and then the other part I think that is different about Chick-fil-A is, you know, the, the, the founder was big on local ownership. And so the w- one thing a lot of people don't know about Chick-fil-A is typically an operator like myself will only have one store, maybe two, but it would have to be in the same market. So it's part of the franchise agreement that you have to be in the store. You can't have any other business venture. So it's not a passive investment. It's something that it, it needs to be what you do. It's your, it's your main job. Um, so, uh, so like in my case, I have the one store in, in Bangor and, uh, you know, who knows what the future holds, but it, it could be the only store I ever have. And so it really, uh, allows you to focus your, your efforts on that one location and, uh, you know, focus on the people, uh, and, and, and probably just as importantly is, is sort of integrate in the community. So, Coming out of the military, that's one thing that I really left, you know, I felt was lacking in, in the military. Of course, you have your military community, community, broadly speaking, but a lot of times you're very transient and you just when you start to get to know the community or people in the community, you're moving somewhere else. So when I retired, I was like, you know what, I'm going to move somewhere and I'm going to stay there for good. And and when I do that, I would have, you know, God willing, you know, give back to the community and provide whatever resources I have, you know, be good, good stewards of those resources and do what I can for the community. So really Chick-fil-A offers that opportunity to do that. And honestly, it's really, it's a, it's a cornerstone of the brand is the, the community involvement aspect of the franchise. And it, to, you just don't go pulling out a check and writing a check to buy a, one of these franchises, uh, like, you know, similar to maybe some, that are out there. I'm not sure, but uh, I, I know you were prepared a little bit for the, the, the selection process, having gone through probably a top secret clearance at some point in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. That, uh, no, I, the, a top secret clearance was a walk in the park compared to the, <laughs> the selection process, honestly, uh, because to your point, I mean, this is public information. It's a very small upfront investment. It's only $10,000 to get into a Chick-fil-A franchise. Um, but the real barrier to entry is just the selection process. And, uh, and it, it's, you know, I think in, they, they say it takes about a year and a half to two years. And it took me right at about the, the year and a half mark to get through the selection process. And it's an, you know, it's a, a number of interviews. Um, it's also, uh, uh, going, uh, you know, looking at your own, have you, have you stewarded your own financial resources? Well, have you been able to manage your own budget or what are the chances that you'll be able to, uh, you know, make a business profitable and run a business? Well, I mean, you know, leadership experience is obviously a big part of that, but I, I don't, I think, you know, some business acumen is obviously a part of running a successful business as well. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, they're looking at those things and they actually, as part of the selection process, like, you know, a lot of 
operators will sort of grow up in the, the restaurant and then apply for one. I, and, but you know, a, a percentage a, uh, will come completely external. Like I did, you know, coming right out of the military. Um, and so uh, they'll, they will, they'll do an, in what they call an experiential interview where you'll go into the restaurant and just work in the restaurant and, you know, interact with the people working there and just to see how, how do you, you know, interact when you're in, you're immersed in this type of environment. Does, are you a fish out of water? Or is it something that you can see yourself doing? So I think it, it's one of those things. It's like, Hey, I think it, you know, it, it affirms two things. It affirms to yourself that this is something that you want to do, but also to the, the folks who are conducting the selection to, you know, helps affirm them that this is something that they, you know, they, that they can see you doing or not. I wonder, are they looking for, to see if you have the humility to go in there and do what it takes at that point in time that, uh, you know, putting you in that position. For I'm sure. I'm sure that says a lot to when they, when they see that. Uh, yeah. Let me just, I would just want to throw out a few statistics and you can correct me if I, if I've got some of these wrong, uh, just a little bit, uh, Chick-fil-A is, uh, became the largest fast food chain in the U.S. Uh, with sales under $11.3 billion. I think these statistics are 2019 or 20 or something like that. Only trailing Starbucks and uh, number one McDonald's. Does that sound right? Largest yeah, fast I, food chain. Well, it's, I don't think it's the largest. I think it might be the largest per store. Per I mean, store. there's... Okay. Yeah, so there's a number of like a, whether it's a Starbucks or a McDonald's. I mean, I think McDonald's has like twenty thousand locations in the U.S. Chick Fil A has about twenty five hundred, um, and 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 so if you're looking at the entire enterprise, there's there's companies out there that are that are bigger, but I think on a per store volume, it's 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 probably up there, probably close to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I had uh, the one I had was twenty six fifty eight locations in the U.S. as of April twenty one. Houston has yep. Houston has fifty two locations. It's yeah. Hello, <laughs> that's it. That was interesting to me, but just the you know the size compared to the revenue, the size and the number of locations, like you said, uh, quite a bit smaller than some of the other. The number one franchise, by the way, that people aren't aware of is is Subway, with uh, yeah, something yeah. like twenty five thousand locations. I found that interesting. I knew there were a lot of them, but I didn't know there were quite that many. Yeah. <laughs> so as you as you uh, started this process. Uh, yeah, obviously you're you're leaning heavily uh, on, uh, as you mentioned, your ability to to learn, your critical thinking. What sorts of leadership and and things did you bring in from your experiences into this this type of business? And and what kind of challenges did you experience right off the beginning? Yeah, yeah, I think the um, one thing I knew that I wanted to do upfront, and and again, this goes back to sort of the people centric business model was I wanted to use chick-fil-a and i'm just not not talking about the guests just the team at this point is a vehicle for growth um and, and that being you know personal and professional growth as well as financial growth for, for the people who work for us um and so uh and create opportunity there um and so uh, that was a big goal of mine and 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 part of that also was just you know empowering people uh an old boss of mine used to say, uh, hire hard and manage easy. And so, you know, be selective about who you bring onto the team and who's, uh, who you have worked for you and then, tr and, and train them well and provide them the resources. But at the end of the day, let them do their jobs. 
Um, and so, uh, and this is something that was very, I, I was very used to in a special operations environment. I mean, I found myself in remote parts of the world, you know, operating by myself with no authority whatsoever. And, and you know, and given, you know, I felt like I was equipped well to sort of make good decisions in that environment. And so I think I've, I've tried to translate that into our team here is, you know, select good people, train them well, you know, and, and give them their mission, if you will, and then just let them do it. And of course, you know, the tendency as leaders always is when I try to take control of this or that. But at the end of the day, I think that just kind of snuffs out, snuffs out, you know, innovation. And, you know, at the end of the day, it creates a, an environment that a lot of people just don't enjoy, at least not people that you truly are going to want to work for you and want to grow grow the, the, the team and the business. It's interesting. So, I, we, I, just, I just taught a class today on empowerment and delegation to some of our supervisors and and we were talking about exact it, it, the fact that you you have to allow them to fail at times yes everybody is not going to be perfect and and if you're going to hover over them and and not allow them uh, to have that experience and then coach them up uh, you're never going to grow yeah exactly exactly and that's why you know maybe coming out of the military gives me a little bit of perspective because you know the food service business can create stress at times which again i don't shy away from i tell our employees i was like you're going to be stressed at work that's part of the opportunity that we're providing you it's like the perfect in, in my opinion it's like the perfect lab to develop leaders because it has it has baked in it all the recipes that you need for good growth it has stress it has a, a mission, which is, you know, serving the guests well and serving them good food. It has sort of the team dynamic. You know, we, you know at any given time, we could have up to 45 people working at Chick-fil-A at one time. Um, and so it really creates this lab, if you will, this leadership lab to like really develop people. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we've been doing it now for a little over five years or so. And, and I think we're getting to the point now where the team is really bought into that and you know it's not just me training everybody but it's you know the whole team training other people and and, and empowering them and it's a it's a really powerful force when you have everybody trained well and given the authority and the discretion and the autonomy to 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 do whatever it is that they've been asked to do and and then it's really that's when leadership begins to get fun because now it's just up to the leaders to get everybody you know marshalling all of those efforts and getting everybody pulling a rope in the same direction it sounds like you've got them all. Uh, it's the engagement that uh, you focused on, and they all understand the vision. They all understand the mission, and as you say, they're all rowing, pulling in the same direction. Absolutely. Now, with we talked, I think, at one point in time in the past about using uh, the model that uh, you and I both kind of grew up on in aviation, the RL progression model. Is that yep. something you you still rely on? If you if you looked at my training, and this is it's not like Chick Fil A gives us a training program. I mean, it's, that's something that they want operators to like come up with. And so like, if you were to take the, the air crew training program from the army and overlay that on the Chick-fil-A training program, it would look nearly identical with the exception of different, you know, jobs, of course, mm -hmm. but it, but it is this idea of sort of this RL progression. Okay. Uh, to get you to this point, you have to get, you have to be proficient at these tasks. And then, you know, to get to the next RL or readiness level, you have to be proficient at these tasks. And so it's this idea of this crawl, walk, run approach to training. 
Uh, and then, you know, having a, a good, what, you know, what we used to call in the army, like a standardizations mm-hmm. process. Stand so people who are sort of, yeah, so, so are, you know, it, you know, making sure that people are adhering to the, the, the published standards. And so then, then you have the leadership there who are making sure that we are. So it's one thing to have the program. It's a completely different thing to execute it well. And then just making sure people are executing it well. And there's a certification process you go as you go into each level. And then you, of course, you have the, the more tangible tasks that you have. But as you sort of rise in leadership, you want to make sure that they're, you're, they're meeting some of these intangible aspects of leadership as well in terms of interpersonal skills and conflict resolution and those sorts of things. Um, so it, it's a it's very similar to what I experienced as a as an, as an air crew member in the army. I really enjoyed when I first heard that, and I, I've tried to apply that to, to our, particularly with our 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 tellers, uh, a bank teller, credit union teller, yep. uh, where they progress as well. We've got a teller progression program sort of modeled after that. Still, still working on other phases of it, but. If it works for Army aviation and everything that goes into that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should be able to make it apply to uh, to this this type of business. Well, we've Definitely. you know we we've all suffered. Uh, I'm sure businesses like yours, uh, we've gone been going through this pandemic. Uh, talk a little bit about how how that was for you, and have you struggled with with turnover as a result of that? Uh, how's how's that been for you? Yeah, yeah, no, it's good question. I mean, obviously, just like everybody else early on, I mean, we were just trying to figure out what was going on, you know, find out to, to what extent this is a threat and, you know, and, and how to adapt the business, if you will, to to this threat. But you still have to operate in the environment. I mean, not, you know, conducting business was not an option. Um, and and, and it's, especially in our case, I mean, the, op- the option to go virtual was not non-existent either. I mean, it, it to, to do what we do, you people have to come to work to do it. So you had to create an environment where people felt comfortable to come to work and understanding that people had different sort of risk tolerances with respect to the pandemic and whatnot and how to manage that. So, of course, early on, that was all a, a challenge. Um, but I think one thing that really kept us focused was, I mean, and, and it, I mean, I think it applies on any given day, but especially during a time like that is, I mean, we view a lot of what we do is like, like serving the community. I mean, if we're not here to serve the community, people are going to be like, "Uh oh, something's really wrong." Um, and so that was sort of like the main, the, the major goal there is like, "Hey, we have to be there for the guests." They they get, and I can't tell you how many guests pulled me aside, you know, through the pandemic and after the pandemic. I was like, you know, really thanking me for just being uh, there for them and being sort of like this this glimpse into normalcy where they can come to the drive through and speak to another person and order their food and get food and, and you know it being good food and so that, i think that was something that really the the, the team uh, uh rallied around was that aspect of serving the guests and you, um, you could see the flexibility you demonstrated with some of the structure well, and the things that you it, did no and that's I th- and that was what i was just going to say next is i mean we we were positioned to do you know to, to, to do well in that environment. Obviously we were blessed with a, a drive-through, not every restaurant has a drive-through, but having that of course uh, um, allowed us to conduct business somewhat uh, as normal uh, through the drive-through. Um, and, and, and really, it, if anything, it made us get better at the drive-through because we just went all in on the drive-through. And, and of course we had this, there was the, the we were positioned to do well in there from a, in a like a digital infrastructure standpoint as well. I mean, 
we are we had an app in our app at the time we didn't use it but so the pandemic i think really just accelerated some of these options that were already available to us that we didn't use like the whole curbside aspect of things where people can pull up to the curb order on the app you know put what spot they're in and when we walk the food out to them which during the pandemic ended up being a huge hit for us and of course the the drive-through uh uh as well so there was there was some uh areas there we were we just happened to be positioned well to do you know pretty well in that environment and i think that the pandemic uh, for all of us and, and it, it certainly did it for you is is forced some of those things that maybe we we talked about or we were just beginning to implement uh into reality ours was remote work we we had talked about from a from a benefit employee benefit and re- you know, retention, attraction, uh, what positions could we have remote? Uh, this forced us to to do that in many positions. And we found out that they were more productive in many cases than than they were in the office. So, yeah, you know, just, just as you mentioned. <laughs> I think a lot of businesses have done that. Yeah, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of talent and, and retaining and attracting talent, uh, you mentioned uh, hiring is is you really focus on that piece of it hire hard manage easy how has uh, how has it been uh, attracting and maintaining or retaining i should say uh, talent for you folks yeah i mean all i mean at the end of the day it we're we're doing really well now and, and you know we did pretty well throughout the pandemic of course we weren't immune to some of the the, the the labor market challenges that I think every business out there experienced. There there was a few times in the year when we were thinner or thinner than we would have liked to be uh, from uh, from a numbers standpoint. Um, and but I, I just give credit to the team. I mean, when that when that was the time, everybody just leaned in and just you know, hey, we 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 got to be here for the guests, and so we did the best that we could with what we had. Um, but uh, right now, I think we're 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 in a really good spot. Uh, you know, coming out of the winter and, you know, going into the summer, what, what typically uh, is, you know, a busier month or busier season for us. Um, and so I think we're doing pretty well from the, from the labor standpoint uh, uh, at this point. Everybody's, everybody's certainly challenged. And I, I think we, we are seeing right now a, a little bit of a breakthrough. We're getting a better quality uh, candidate, more, more applications uh, yeah. than we were. It was, a, it was a bit of a struggle, particularly, you know, when people were, Getting benefits, you know, some of the benefits. I think um, the the incentive wasn't necessarily there for some of them to to sure. go out and look for for work at that point in time. Uh, and going forward, do you, are there any things that you do? I know I, I love what you do on Facebook. You're posting, uh, I believe it's the employee of the week, or you focus on different employees. What sorts of things do you do to recognize and reward your employees? Yeah, um, we of course we do all those those sorts of things uh what we do all sorts of team building things uh for the uh for the team and and really if if, if some people ask me something like, how do you get these people to work with you i think at the end of the day it's just doing our best and again I'm, we're definitely not perfect but doing our best to create a culture that uh that people want to be a part of they know they're here and they're, they're, they're going to get better or people are, are there to get them better at what they do both in in business uh, and in life in general, um, and just create this culture of belonging. And, and, and so we will have a number of, whether it be team functions, uh, probably three or four a year, uh, whether it's be larger functions or, and then sometimes just on the, you know, 
on random weekends or like the last weekend of the month, we'll have a team event after close in the restaurant where we, we, you know, everybody gets in there and plays games and those sorts of things. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just providing an opportunity for people to get to know each other uh, outside of the workplace as well. And again, you have to remember the demographic that we have too. I mean, we, we definitely have a number of people who have families, but a lot of them are college age kids and, and, you know, and, and, and many in high school as well. And so this is a, a, a chance for them to interact with uh, their peers and, you know, both who they get to know at work, but outside of work as well. And I think it's just one of those things that, that builds culture uh, over time. And, and, that's, and I think that, yeah, I think that's honestly one of the, our biggest, if, if I had to nail it down, is one of our biggest recruiting tools. I mean, most of the people I interview these days, the, the reason they want to work for us is either one, they know somebody who works here and they were either referred and, uh, or if not directly referred, it's like, yeah, he, he or she talked about how much they love working here or you know, they see they come into the restaurant and they see that the, the employees are, you know, having a good time uh, working and getting along with each other, treating each other well and treating the guests well and want to, and want to be a part of something like that. You you were I started to say you you actually said exactly what I was going to say with us. What we focused on was our, was our culture so much. And and many of the people that we hired, it's been more of a challenge recently, but it was it was uh, based on referrals. It was for people who had known somebody or know somebody that works for us and recognize the culture. And that was the culture that they wanted to be part of. So absolutely, uh, it's, it's a credit to you and, and uh, your team and, and how you've been able to create that, create that culture there. Is there, is there something about Chick-fil-A uh, that, or maybe the fast food business is a, uh, that people might not know or understand that might be an interesting tidbit. Uh, I, I honestly wouldn't be able to, comment on the the fast food business at large but definitely chick-fil-a uh one thing a lot of people don't know is like our food is like it's made fresh like for instance like if you order a chicken sandwich that's that chicken is just like the the breast of a chicken that you would buy at the store and in, in our case we bread it and fry it or grill it whatever the case may be uh just minutes before you order it um, and so, uh, it, it, and, and, the salads, for instance, we make, we make six salads at a time and, and, you know, depending on the, the time of the day, you know, you, you could get a salad made a, five, a few minutes ago, or maybe, you know, 30 minutes ago. Uh, and, and so it, it's a constant rotation, uh, of, of, of the, of the food. And so when you get a meal at Chick-fil-A, and this is, I, I say this because I didn't know this going into it. I mean, this is something that I learned as I became part of the franchise. And, and it kind of amazed me at the effort that went into making fresh food fast. And to make fresh food fast, it's very, there's a number of things that allow us to do it. We have some, some really good analytics that help us uh, uh, to, to do that well. But it's also the biggest thing is it's a very labor intensive process. I mean, um, like I said, on, on, uh, on a, a, say on a, one of our busiest times of the week, we'll have close to 45 people working at one time. That's amazing Whether, to me. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it, it is. I mean, I, I, when, when someone, if you were to ask me how many people was uh, work, you know, were on a Chick-fil-A team, you know, I would have said 45, but we, you know, we have 45 working at one time and it, it, it adds up when you have eight people outside, you know, whether they're taking mm -hmm. orders, taking payment or delivering food and you have people in the window and then you have, People taking orders inside and dining room and walking food around. And then, you know, we have people in the kitchen, of course, making the food. It, it really it, it really is a labor intensive uh, process. Um, 
uh, that to, to make the fresh food fast. But you mentioned the the, the chicken, and I believe uh, if I read it correctly, the A on fillet is me. It was A grade, right? A grade yeah, chicken, ex- and exactly. Yeah, oh, that's uh, well. I you know one of my favorites, and I have to say it is that chicken tortilla soup that you have. You don't have it all the time, I guess, but when you have it, I try to make it out there. <laughs> It's a seasonal item. We do have it right now. Oh, so good! I got to get back some. out there. <laughs> yeah, my my father in law is the same thing because you know he he lives in uh, Pittsburgh, and whenever he comes in, he always asks, "Do you guys have the chicken tortilla soup?" And like it, it's, he'll have one every day that he's here. <laughs> it's, it's his favorite thing. Yeah. Well, what motivates you? Obviously, this has got to be the type of business. Um, obviously, you know, when, when you're, when you're flying and you were in the type of operations you were in, you got to be on your game. You got to be up every day. What, what motivate, motivates you in, in this business every day? Because you're the guy that has to be bringing the energy and, and motivating. Yeah. Yeah. Leading. It's a great question. And to me, I mean, the, 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 the big answer is the people it's, there is, there's something special about you know, bringing in whether that person be in high school or college or even after college and giving them an opportunity because a lot of people, they just don't have any life spoken into them and or encouragement. And and if you put somebody like that in an environment where they, they, they have those things, but then not only that, but an opportunity to excel and grow and those kind of things. I mean, some remarkable things have happened and I've, I've witnessed it. It's, it's one of the things that sort of keeps the fire going inside of me. I mean, we've had young gals literally like crying in the bathroom afraid to face a guest because they're having an anxiety attack and they just didn't, didn't want to do it and 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 and, and that, that that gal in particular that i'm thinking about ended up being one of our best leaders who would then lead a group of 20 people and face guests and handle their their, their problems and manage any, any conflict and that that type of growth happened over a span of like two or three years and it was just, and, and there's so many stories like that out there that, you know, just seeing that turnaround and, and people and, and watching them grow. And, and the cool thing is you get to do all this while serving really good food to the guests. And I think, you know, that, that spills over into the guest experience as well. Uh, and, 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 and which to me, you know, would be the second thing that kind of gets me up. Uh, I remember going through the Chick-fil-A franchise, you know, the selection process. And they're like, hey, why do you want to be in the food business? as opposed to like, you know, owning like a, a, you know, a furniture rental place or, you know, something like that, which of course, you know, everything has its place in the market. But one thing that is different in the food business and to some extent, and I would say to a big extent, the banking business that you're in is the the frequency at which you get to see people, mm. the, the same people. Um, and so, I mean, we have people that come by literally every day and you get to know them, you, you know what they want and you can, chat with them and get to know them and, and you know, take care of them. And it, it really is, it's a highlight to our day and it's a highlight to their day. Uh, and, and, and so I think once again, you know, it, it's one of those things I think we were created just to, to love our neighbors and to, you know, pr- do what we can to sort of uplift them. And so whether that's on our team or our guests, that to me is what sort of gets me up each day. Well, and that's, that's great. That, that it, you see the people that come through there. And as you mentioned, especially during the pandemic, it was this sense of normalcy that, that they needed and, and you gave them. But on a day-to-day basis, it's their routine. It's what they look forward to coming in every day. And so yeah. I, I can see where that, that piece of it would 
would pick you up and having and having been as i think about it from the standpoint when i'm going through your drive through and i'm seeing the clockwork the way that people are working together and the team and having been a a sport uh, guy a football baseball basketball yeah. guy uh, <laughs> and then in the army and the army team i just love that and i can see yeah. how that can be uh, you know it and and as you said you're changing the lives of some of those fe- those folks that work for you uh that you can see and then probably down the road you, you know you they'll look back on this and they'll uh, contact you and say hey you gave me an opportunity you did this for me and it and it changed my life absolutely that's, that's a yep. great thing how about the mentors that changed your life any any anybody that stands out you'd like to to mention that uh, we all have those people in our lives that help shape our careers either a boss a family member yeah i mean i i, I being in the military, I had a number of mentors, so I won't, I won't mention them by name, but I mean, they, they were so impactful for me. Um, and, but I think when looking back on them, the, the one thing that really stood out to me was that they enabled my growth. Um, and they were my advocates. I mean, like some of those positions that you had mentioned that I held in my, that former organization. I mean, I held those positions because it was a very competitive you know, field. And some of those positions I was held because I had a, somebody, a mentor, advocate for me in some of those selection processes where I was able to, you know, get some of those roles. Um, yeah. But then, and, 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 and then, but beyond that, they, you know, they enabled my growth. I mean, I had a number of, especially in that organization, it's like, it's once you get there, there's, you know, there's this tendency to stay there long. And there's like this expectation sometimes that you're going to stay there, you know, stay on the horse, so to speak. But, you know, like when the, the, the teaching at West Point opportunity came up, you know, I had folks who were in charge of me and my mentors were like, you know what, Th- this is something that I think would be great for you. You're, you're going to go off and do great things and invest in the future of the army, you know, through this different channel uh, and, and allowed me to do that. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, because at a certain point there, you, you don't want to lose too many of your your qualified guys. And so they did it at, at their own personal cost of like losing, you know, a good qualified officer. Uh, but uh, looking back on it, I mean, uh, it, it, it made a huge difference in the trajectory of my life and the course of my life. And I've been able to sort of pay it back going forward. I remember when I was teaching at West Point, I had a guy who we had just sent to a really high end grad school. He came back and, and was teaching for us. And was doing great things, held down some really strong positions. And he came up to me one day and was like, hey, Todd, he's like, and I was in charge of him at the time. And so I was basically in charge of what we allowed him to do or not. And he's like, hey, there's this really great opportunity that's opened up at one of this, my favorite unit. It's like a once in a lifetime opportunity and I have to go this summer. And so it would have ended up curtailing his tour at West Point as a teacher. And I reflected on my own you know, time when I basically had that conversation with my boss and I was like, hey, we got to let you do it. I was like, I know it's going to suck to leave you or to lose you, but we'll figure it out and you need to go do this. So I think, uh, I think it's just, you know, being advocate, you know, those folks who were advocates for me as well as enabled my growth, it was made the biggest impact. And as you said, you, 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 you've been paying it back. Uh, you're paying it back on a daily basis. I'm sure, uh, now and, and reflecting on, on, uh, just as they, they helped you, you're helping, uh, all those, all those young people. And I'm sure some of the, as you mentioned, counseling and coaching for some of those people that want to make the military a career now or sure no uh, without a doubt yeah I, and, and oh, i'd be uh 
I, I should have mentioned at the beginning, and I apologize. Uh, I know your wife, Suzanne, is a big part of your team. And uh, you've got a couple of uh, young kids. Uh, well, not too young now. I guess they're, they're Ashley's 16 and Hunter's 14. That's right. All yes. Bangor, proud Bangor uh, people now. They are. Yep. They're, we got them both in high school now. Uh, they, 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 you know, we've lived here for close to six years now, and they absolutely love the area. Uh, have grown up in, you know, the uh, school system here in Bangor. Uh, they're doing great things, playing sports there. And my, and all four of us, my wife included, uh, work at the restaurant. And so it truly is a family uh, enterprise. Um, and and so it, it's it's kind of neat to watch them grow up in the restaurant as well. Um, and so it's, uh, it, it, we, we're very, very happy with our, our choice to move here and have no intention of leaving. Oh, that's, that's great to hear. Well, let me, as we, as we end, uh, let me just ask you one question about leadership. And, and, you know, again, what I try to do with some of these is, is leave, uh, leave a message and, and some, some tidbits for people that maybe you're listening that want to be leaders, want to get into management, uh, all of those sorts of things. What advice would you have or give to young leaders right now, regardless of where they're going, whether the military or business or government or any organization, if you want to be a leader, what would you give for advice to, to your, your young self? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think when, when I used to talk to cadets, uh, when I was teaching and then, you know, to, to a large extent, the people that are working with me now, it's do the best job that you have right now. So, because whatever your job is right now, pursue excellence. And, and, you know, a lot of people are in jobs that they might not like, or they know it's, you know, not something that it's going to do for the rest of their life. So they might give it sort of like their half efforts. Uh, and I think if, you know, if you're going to do something, why not do it with excellence? And so it's just do your job to the best of your ability. And one, I think you're going to find that it will make it a more fulfilling job. But two, it's going to, it's going to, I mean, it's, you have to think of yourself to some extent, especially as a young leader or a young person entering the workforce as like your own brand. And you want to sort of like manage that brand and like create a good brand name for yourself. And if you, if you approach each and every job with that mindset, there's not going to be, there's going to be so many doors that will open for you down the road. Um, and, and, and maybe as a young person, you just can't appreciate that. But like, you know, if, if somebody was working for you and gave their best efforts and if somebody, and, and they went on to pursue something else and, and, and someone called back and said, Hey Rob, how's, how's so-and-so We're like, man, he or she, they did a great job here. And it's just, it really is one of those things that, that pays so many dividends going forward that, you know, with a little bit of life experience behind me now, looking back on it, I think that 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 enabled me to 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 continue to sort of pursue my goals was just doing my absolute best uh, at job at whatever job that I had, whether I liked it or not. That's uh, great, great advice, and and you know, it's do your job, do do the best you can, and the opportunities will will open up for you, and that's all you can control, right? Right there, absolutely. Well, this has been great. Uh, it's it's flown by. Todd, I, I really appreciate the time, the, uh, the shedding some light on uh, the military side of your life, but for the people in the Bangor area, uh, your business and, and Chick-fil-A and, and everything you're doing there, uh, clearly your, your move to Bangor has benefited Bangor probably uh, more than 
then uh, it's benefited you. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you brought so much. You and your family brought so much to the to the city, and I know you're continuing to to give back and and hope you're here a, a long, long time. Absolutely. And thank you for your no. service to our country, by the way. No, 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 I appreciate that. And, and thanks for the opportunity for me to get up here. And I uh, uh, appreciate just for more broadly speaking, what the, the, the whole podcast is t- intending to do is take some of these topics from Maine. And, you know, I, I just, in the last month or two, I've really started listening to podcasts and like find them. It's like, man, these are some really good nuggets. You know, in each one of those podcasts, I find a nugget. And so I think it's a really neat medium, if you will, to, to get out there and, and get people's stories told and whether it be about an industry, about a leadership or about a, a particular person. So I think it's a great idea and, and I'm glad I've, I get the honor to be a small part of it here today. Well, you, you've certainly been a, been a, a great part of this and, and hopefully this will inspire somebody out there to, to take the initiative and, and fulfill their dreams uh, in, in any, any way, shape or form they desire. So uh, again, thank you. And uh, thank you folks for listening. I hope you'll join me again for another Mainly Matters podcast in the very near future.